are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena. You can follow me on Twitter at Patricia underscore Trena, T-R-A-I-N-A. And that's where you can find links to the articles that I write. You can ask questions for Twitter mailbag days, such as tomorrow's Twitter Tuesday that we have coming up. Uh, you can even, you know, we could talk football, whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm always on Twitter. I'm always there checking in and I'm always happy to hear from you. And for today's show, I'm very happy to hear from this next gentleman. Uh, he's, he's a fellow whose work I really admire, does a great job. And if you're not following him, by gosh, get on Twitter and give him a follow. He is Nick Cordy uh, over the cap. And he is, amongst other things, he is the expert when it comes to predicting compensatory picks and as well as working with some cap figures. So, Nick, absolutely delighted to have you on the program. And it's delighted to talk to you, Patricia. Good to be here. All right. So, like I said, folks, Nick is the guy, if you ever have questions about uh, the comp picks and whatnot. He's the one who has cracked this mysterious code. And Nick, let's let's start there. For those who, you know, always ask about how comp picks are, are calculated, can you just give a general overview as to what factors go into the compensatory pick formula? Well, it basically all starts with um, taking the number of who are considered compensatory free agents that are lost and then subtracting the number of similar CFAs that are signed. And if that number is positive, then the team in question can be eligible for compensatory picks in the next year's draft. And how much does, does things like salary and play time factor in? Because if I'm not mistaken, I think last year while we were waiting to see uh, if the Giants would get a comp pick for Geno Smith, there had to be some kind of trigger or something that, that either nullified it or made it happen. And, and I don't remember exactly what it was. Yes. Yeah, so um, average salary per year, average per year or APY is the dominating factor to determine the valuation of compensatory free agents and uh, it determines which uh, round it is and also whether they're eligible to be even considered for the formula to begin with and in the case of geno smith last year he was right on that on the bubble so to speak as to whether or not he would qualify for consideration or not it was tricky because he only signed for a million and you know he was a backup to philip rivers who has a long time uh start streak going on um with the chargers but uh we learned that the compensatory formula did judge him and that allowed the giants to get the compensatory pick for him last year so the apy is the dominating factor but there are Smaller factors such as play time, which is calculated by a snap counts, and in a much smaller uh, manner, some postseason honors are also considered. Okay, so with that said, Nick, let's get everybody up to speed on where the Giants currently stand for 2020. 
So where they stand right now is that they have lost six compensatory free agents that have qualified for the formula, and they have signed two. So six minus two is four, which means they are eligible for four comp picks in the 2020 draft. Um, the most prominent of those by far is the third round valued comp pick that the Giants are slated to receive for losing Landon Collins to Washington. Uh, besides that, they also have a trio of seventh round comp picks for the losses of Mario Edwards, Kerry Wynn, and Josh Morrow. Now, it should be known that there is a strict limit of 32 compensatory picks that can be awarded every draft. And it could be the case, depending on how many others higher value than those seventh rounders uh, end up being generated in the end, but it could be possible that any of those seventh rounders may not be awarded to the Giants due to being beyond that 32 pick limit. And do they have any guys right now who are on that bubble, you know, sort of like how Geno Smith was a couple of years ago? I think in uh, Carrie Wynn and Josh Morrow are both valued, I believe, at around 1.3 million. That's that's higher than what Gino got. It should be enough to clear. Um, they also have to stay on a roster for 10 weeks. So if their new team cuts them before week 10, then they would be removed from consideration. Uh, but really, the only uh, the only free agent that the Giants lost that clearly would not qualify, I think, would be Curtis Riley. I think he went to the Raiders, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I think you're correct. When you say they have to be on the roster for, for uh, until week 10, does that include being on, like, um, injured reserved, or or does, does it have to be the active roster? Uh, injured reserve should count. I believe for the Giants, as an example, I believe Cody Latimer was on IR for a considerable amount, and he's still uh, qualified in the Giants or uh, against the Giants as a CFA signed. So injured reserve counts. Um, there may be some other roster designations where that gets tricky, but they're probably few and far between, and I can't think one off the top of my head right now. Okay, not a problem. All right, Nick, let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to start talking about the Giants cap situation. Uh, just get some of your thoughts about that. So folks, stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Locked On Giants. You're with Patricia Trena, and with me is Nick Cordy of Over the Cap. He does the NFL compensatory pick formula for Over the Cap. He writes about the cap. Uh, really good guy, really good guy to follow on Twitter. He's at Nick Cordy, K-O-R-T-E. If you're not following him, you're doing yourself an injustice. So get out on Twitter, folks, and give him a follow. Real good stuff. And Nick, let's let's turn our attention, if we could, to the salary cap. Now, before we get into specifics, I just want to kind of get what, what feelings you might have about the future of the cap. Because as you know, this year we're set. Next year in 2020, it's projected to be a $200 million cap. It is also projected to be, well, not projected. It will be the final year of the current CBA. Do you know of any changes or anything that we need to, you know, be aware of 
that have differed from, you know, how things have gone down uh, in, in the first nine years of the CBA that might change in 2020? Well, I think you covered it pretty well, and it's very important for all NFL fans to be aware of the looming conclusion of the current CBA because that's going to create seismic events in the future that will be very uh, difficult to foresee. I think it's a little more defined as far as the conclusion of this goes compared to the previous CBA where there was uh, an uncapped year in the final year. that does not exist for the current end of the CBA, which would be 2020. Um, there are a few accounting rules um, to ensure that teams don't try to manipulate uh, the lack of a CBA beyond 2020, mainly dealing with trying to push signing bonuses and other cap dollars outside the scope. There are some there are some rules around that, but other than that, I think you. Uh, put it pretty straightforward as to where we're leading um, as the CBA concludes. Um, have those rules been set up yet, or are they still under discussion that, as far as you know? Uh, yes, it's a, it's a, all part of the uh, current collective bargaining agreement that was um, secured upon in 2011. Okay. And uh, – I'm just wondering if, you know, as as you studied the cap uh, or, and, and the contracts that came in this year, obviously, you know, a lot of those contracts are for multiple years. Did you notice anything, you know, different in how those contracts might have been structured? And I'm not just talking giants. I'm talking league wide. Yeah, with with regards to the end of the CBA, I haven't seen anything unusually different. I mean, every team is going to have different needs and different projections on the future based on where their roster is and where they want it to go. But I mean, there are things, there are little things here and there, but uh, so far it seems to be pretty much a status quo from what I've seen. Okay. And Nick, when we look at the Giants cap, now I had done a study for Forbes. I don't know if you saw it or not, but back in February, I did a study and I projected the Giants top five salaries to be 49% of their cap, the projected cap. They have since lowered that, you know, by making a couple moves, which include, you know, trading away Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, they, you know, so a lot better, I think. I think they're somewhere around 42%, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Um, what I'm wondering is, is, you know, when you look at a team's cap, you know, is the top five guys, you know, is that a good indication to determine the health of the cap or should you really be looking at the whole thing? Well, I mean, of course the whole thing matters, but of course, as you know, as you, um, as you highlighted and what you just discussed there, um, it typically is true that only a small handful of players are taking the lion's share of the cap. And, and looking at how the Giants texture breaks down, I mean, you've got you've got the big hitters like Eli Manning, Nate Solder, and then others. Even without uh, Vernon and uh, Beckham on the team anymore, you have it appears you have uh, like Janoris Jenkins, Alec Ogletree, Kevin Zeitler, all with about eight-figure cap hits. So that's I think 
pretty standard, um, somewhere in the middle as far as that kind of uh, distribution goes. I mean, things can change rapidly as you as you highlighted, depending on who come who comes and who goes. Uh, but I think that's a good overview. When you look at the championship teams, the teams that are constantly in the playoffs, is there a common characteristic cap, you know, cap wise that you see amongst those teams that are, you know, like I said, always in the postseason? Oh, I'm not quite sure. I think a lot of it really, again, has to deal with the roster um, that you're, that you're dealt with. I mean, you take a look at the New Orleans Saints, for example, who, you know, they've paid Drew Brees very well, and yet they still find room to um, work his salary for cap purposes and to make room for other, you know, other other veterans that uh, um, that can get it, that can fetch a good salary on the market. And then you contrast it with some teams like, say. Like the Kansas City Chiefs are in a situation right now where they uh, they've got Patrick Mahomes at quarterback on a very cheap rookie deal, and through that uh, they can use the money that they'll eventually have to use to give Mahomes a big deal uh, to bring in other veterans uh, that can help uh, build a team around him. Now this year we saw something interesting, or at least I thought it was kind of interesting, and the Colts is the team I'm going to use as the example. The Colts had a, had a bunch of cap space, but they did not spend like it was going out of style. They were very conservative with it. Now I happen to believe that it's a sound strategy because now when they have to redo contracts, they have the space to, to, you know, to work with. And I'm assuming that in the next CBA, they will be able to carry money over like they have in, in this CBA. When you look at what the Colts have done, I mean, do you agree that, that their strategy to kind of, you know, spend wisely, if you will, has, has been a sound one? Well, I think it's still early in the uh, tenure of the uh, of the of the GM that's now running the Colts. Um, certainly, it appears that that's the strategy that he feels is going to be in the best interest of the organization, and it certainly is giving the Colts a lot of flexibility to pounce in the future um, on deals if they so need to do so. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I think there's a lot of different ways to build a roster. I mean, obviously the Colts had a surprisingly good year last year. They hope to continue that, you know. And it's. I mean, it's important to improve your team, um, but it's also important not to spend just for the sake of spending. And uh, that may be where the Colts consider uh, where they are right now. They're happy with their roster, and they just want to uh, proceed onward with that. Now, looking at the Giants, I mean, was there anything that the Giants did in free agency that made you just say, wow, what are they doing? Um, I mean, as far as free agency goes, I mean, it wasn't so much a signing as it was just the real wow was uh, Odell Beckham Jr. getting traded. Um, I think it's, it seems to make sense that there were uh, – Rumors, I guess, that Olivier Vernon could uh, could be traded, but I think obviously Beckham was the uh, was the bigger move. Um, 
even or despite uh, what Dave Gettleman was saying about his intentions and in extending Beckham to begin with. Um, but as far as beyond those trades, I mean, they've they've targeted some, you know, reasonable additions to the team. Like Golden Tate, I think, was uh, a very straightforward signing, um, especially given the Beckham trade to give uh, Eli Manning some sort of experienced target to work with. Um but yeah, I think the biggest uh I think the biggest moves this year, at least how I see the Giants from, you know, not quite as an informed eye is that it was bigger on the trades than the than the signings. All right, you're listening to Locked On Giants with Patricia Trena and special guest Nick Cordy of Over the Cap. We're gonna take our final break. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about the salary cap and then we'll call it a show. So stay with us. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. You're with Patricia Trena and special guest Nick Cordy of Over the Cap. Make sure you are following him at Nick Cordy. That's N-I-C-K-K-O-R-T-E. He does a great job with predicting the comp picks. He does some work for Over the Cap, some analysis. You know, if you're not checking out that site, you are really missing out on, on a valuable, inf- you know, a valuable information source it's one of my go-to's when i do my cap work so if i'm checking them out you guys need to be checking them out trust me on that so nick um we were talking about the giants before the break and um i I just i want to get your take on the odell situation again because you know a lot of people are like why would the giants trade odell after signing him to that big deal that they did last year now i'll give you my take on it and you tell me if you see a different angle or, you know, if you can add to it. My take is that there were reports last year that Odell just wasn't going to play on the final year of his, uh, on that option year that he had, even though the money was guaranteed at eight point, I think it was 8.9 million or something like that. There was talk that he wanted more financial security and, you know, there was the threat of him potentially holding out and creating a distraction. So Gettleman goes and he signs him to, you know, a low cost deal at the time, which cut that number in half. I think he cut cut his 8.9 million number down to about five something, if I remember correctly. He gets the new deal, you know, 4 million gets prorated against last year's cap. And now there's 16 million remaining prorated. When you look at, you know, the logic there, I mean, do you kind of see where Gettleman was coming from? Do you disagree with it? I mean, what's your take on that whole, you know, how that thing whole unfa- uh, unfolded? Well, if uh, if if we if we uh, run with that take, then I think I think the situation I could see when I think about that is. Now, can you clarify when the extension uh, precisely happened? Was it 2018? It happened happened right before the 2018 season started. Okay, yes. So I think when it comes to those players, those first-rounders who are on, you know, get their fifth-year option picked up but are still dissatisfied with that because they feel, and probably rightly so, that they could earn more, um, I feel like – what Aaron Donald did in holding out even earlier than anyone else, I I think it was year four uh, of his five, of his five year deal after option picked up. 
Um, I, I, the way I see it, I think that really uh, set a precedent to players similar in a situation like a Beckham, like a Khalil Mack, for example, who forced his way to Chicago. Um, that may have given the idea, you know, to Beckham to, you know, push push whatever leverage he had, and so he gets the extension, and then, you know, whatever happened between the two of them, between he and the Giants, that must not have worked out, and now he's a Cleveland Brown. Yeah, but the the, the drawback, of course, is now they have $16 million in dead money, and I believe they're at, I want to say, a little over $33 million in dead money. I had asked Dave Gettleman about that at the combine. I said, Dave, you know, you, 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 we talk about these moves and everything like that. And you, you, you've got this dead money. And he, he said to me, well, you know, you never want to have that kind of dead money, but sometimes it's, you know, a necessity. So when a team, you know, the Giants, I think, have been up or at the top of the dead money ledger the last two years, I want to say. I mean, can a team you know, bounce back from that? Can they find financial help when they are constantly in that cycle where they're signing big, you know, big contracts and then parting with them a year or two later? You know, I think it's, it's definitely recoverable. Um, You know, dead money is never a good thing as you're just locking up some of your cap and players that are no longer on the team. But I also think it's very manageable and it shouldn't, um, you know, it shouldn't impede teams from making moves just to avoid sunk costs. Like an example I can think of for the team I follow, the Denver Broncos, they've usually stayed very low on the dead money. They were consistently on the lower end of that. Uh, But this year is different because they determined that Case Keenum wasn't working out for them, and they felt they could improve by trading for Joe Flacco. And in doing so, they incurred quite a lot of dead money from Keenum. But if they're correct that Flacco is going to be a considerable improvement, then that's probably dead money well spent. And for maybe one more example, the New Orleans Saints consistently lead the way in dead money, not not necessarily from just bad signings, but also from cap manipulation that pushes prorated bonuses further into the future, creating void years and all other kinds of tricks to fit a team together, Uh, especially with Drew Brees. um, What they've done multiple times manipulating his contract has resulted in dead money here and there. But as we've seen, the Saints have been a consistently competitive franchise uh, in the Breeze era. You know, you bring up the the uh, Drew Brees, and obviously with the Giants, you know, at some point they're going to have to make a decision with Eli. So Eli is in the final year of his contract. The ownership has said that they're not going to do anything at this time with him, which, you know, makes sense because let's see whether or not they get their quarterback of the future. Let's see how... 2019 plays out but I'm just wondering if after the draft is over the Giants don't have their quarterback of the future you know they've already paid Eli a five million dollar bonus do you think it makes sense if they don't get their quarterback of the future to maybe extend Eli an extra year 
and and you know convert some of his 11.5 million base salary into a signing bonus that can be prorated which in essence is kicking the can down the road um i think that can potentially make sense i mean when i look at the giants um salary cap situation right now i mean they're i think it's about 11 12 million ish they're probably a little bit on the lower end. And they've also got 12 draft picks coming in, including two first rounders, thanks to the OBJ trade. So um, that could make some sense. Um, at the same time, um, I'd also, I'd, I'm not sure what else the Giants would use that money on in 2019, other than the draft picks. Um, maybe after May 7th, when uh, comp picks are no longer an issue, they they uh, look for some lower level veterans, but um, you know, it's, but it's definitely something that they could do. It appears their cap space is on the higher end in 2020. And if they aren't going to draft a clear court successor to Manning in this draft, then I mean, like any other quarterback, if they believe in Eli Manning, they probably don't want him playing just playing out the final year of his deal on a contract year. No, that I, I can't see that happening either, especially if they don't get their, their franchise quarterback of the future, you know, whether it be trading for Josh Rosen, whether it be, you know, taking one of these, these kids in the draft, you know, however they're going to do it, but, you know, obviously a position they're going to need to address sooner than later, not just in terms of the successor, but what they're going to do with, you know, with Eli, if they don't get the successor this year and they, you know, want to continue with the succession plan. I don't want to call it the Kansas city plan because quite frankly, Kansas city didn't invent it. It was the giants that did it before, um, you know, other teams have done it before, but anyway, Nick, in, in closing, when you look at what the Giants have done, is there anything that you maybe foresee that we, we should keep an eye out for that they can do with that cap? Because you mentioned they only have about $10 million in cap space. I believe they're going to need about $12 million to, to sign all the draft picks. But as you know, it's, you know a, somebody's going to replace somebody that's currently in the top 51. And so it's not a true you know, 12 million, but they also are going to need some space to get through 2019. So if you had to sit here and take a guess, what else could they do to maybe open up some additional cap space? Well, I mean, I think, I think Eli Manning is the biggest question out of all of this, which we've, I think we've discussed well, whether, I mean, whether or not they proceed with him is really going to, dictate any other secondary moves. I mean, you, you, you can look at the contracts of a Nate Solder or a Janoris Jenkins and maybe find some way to tinker with those if you need the space. But I mean, I think if the Giants are going to commit to Eli Manning, then they're probably going to need to adjust their their future roster needs to, you know, a typical stars and scrubs uh uh, structure um, like many other teams with high-priced veteran quarterbacks do, or if they plan to, you know, trade for a Josh Rosen or draft a Drew ha or Dwayne Haskins, excuse me, or Drew Locke or whoever, um, then you might be shifting to more of that, you know, early Seattle Seahawks mode with Russell Wilson when they won the Super Bowl or 
or like what the Jets are hoping to do right now with Sam Darnold. They've they've had a lot of many uh, mid-level veteran signings to go on with Le'Veon Bell. So I think uh, the draft, I think, is really going to answer that question one way or the other, and then I think we can really try to see where that's going to go from there. Got to tell you, Nick, isn't the cap fascinating? Well, yes, indeed. I mean, every, you know, so many people, you know, when they propose things to me, they say, oh, the Giants should do this, this, and this. And I, and and right away, I go right to the cap. I'm like, okay, what are the cap ramifications? Have you thought about that? Just amazing. Because, you know, the late George Young always used to say, I go to bed. First thing I, last thing I, I think about when I go to bed is the cap. And the first thing I think about in the morning when I wake up is the cap. And I could see why it would drive people crazy. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just the cap. There are many arcane rules that go on um, within NFL contracts, and it's difficult to keep everything in place. And I have to say, you do a, a, a great and commendable job on Twitter in trying to explain all that to the best of your ability, even if the responses you're getting back are negative. Well, I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, I, I don't make the rules. I just report it, <laughs> just like you do. Yeah, that, yeah that, I mean, that's where it is with the compensatory picks. I mean, I could think of – I'm sure many of us could think of better ways to manage su- such a system, but I just have to go with what I've learned and roll with it. Well, you do a great job, and I and I tip my hat to you. I mean, that's that's a tough formula to kind of – really pick up on and you know they, the NFL management council's never made that formula you know uh, uh, has never publicized it and kudos to you for figuring it out yes thank you and I'll just also uh, do a quick thanks to uh, um, someone by the name of Adam JT 13 who is uh, who is uh, finding out this information long before I was and when the internet was not nearly as uh, widespread as it is today it was much more difficult like back 10 years ago or so oh i remember i remember his posts he used to be i think he used to have like a 90 i want to say a 99 percent hit rate with his predictions yeah he got pretty close and you know i've just been trying to match that as uh as the comp picks get announced each year well you do a pretty good job there so uh Really appreciate you coming on, spending a few minutes to talk cap with me. I always like to talk about it. Um, you know, it's a nice little breakup with with the draft prep. And, you know, it's it's kind of important because I believe everything ties in together. And we've seen everything tie in together. So um, anytime I can bring on an expert such as yourself to help, you know, give another voice, another perspective to the whole situation, I, I, I'm thankful for it. Well, I'm glad to help out. All right, folks. He's Nick Corte. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick, N-I-C-K, Corte, C-O, I'm sorry, K-O-R-T-E, R-T-E. Yes, I got that right. Uh, Give him a follow. Check him out on OverTheCap.com. For Nick Corte, this is Patricia Trainer. Thank you so much for listening, Giant fans. We'll be back later this week with more talk about the upcoming drafts.